Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Praise be to God. Thank you guys for joining me in Gospel Saving Church here in my home in McKinney, Texas. And I want to thank everybody coming from all over the world on SoundCloud. God bless you and welcome. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church as well. My name is Pastor Ed Spagnoli and I'll be your teacher today. Um, We'll be today in our text. If you guys want to be getting it all set up while I'm going over my thoughts from last week's message, we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Verses 2 through 5, but we're just going to be in that last sentence in verse 2. I'll explain later. We're going to be studying the last sentence in verse 2 to verse 5 of 1 Timothy chapter 6. And I'll get to that right after my thoughts in last week's message. Don't dishonor nor despise, but represent. So I just want to spend a little time in this overview talking about the ultimate reason why God wants Christians, whether slaves willful or, or, or slaves, full-out bought slaves, not to dishonor nor despise their bosses or their owners and to represent Jesus Christ. I want to just talk a little bit about the ultimate reason why he wants us to do that. So why does God want Christians not to dishonor nor despise their bosses, owners, and represent Jesus Christ? Really, you can answer that uh, with a one-word answer, love. Uh, you see, the Bible says God cannot deny himself. And just what exactly is the main characteristic of God? Well, the Bible says God is love. 1 John 4, 7-8 tells us this. Beloved, John writes to people, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. So not only is God love, but love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And since God is love, and his kids, those that are saved, those that he's redeemed, those that have turned to him for salvation, are supposed to represent him. So how are we supposed to represent God if he is love? Well, we're supposed to represent him in love, of course. Well, what does tangible love look like from the Bible? What does it look like? Well, thankfully, God inspired our, the Apostle Paul to write about what tangible love really is. And I want you to think about, as I read this, how love here is really a verb in this, in this context. It's not something we just think about or some, a nice warm feeling that we have, but it's something that we do. And we find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7, where Paul writes this. Love suffers long and is kind. Notice how love does something. Love makes you kind. Love is kind. If you love, you'll be kind. If you love, you're going to suffer long. Meaning, it's not something like, oh, I'm underneath a heavy rock. Oh, I'm suffering terribly. No, it's, it's suffering long. I mean, it's, it's patient. It's kind of that suffering long there kind of more reminds me of patience. He goes on to say, love does not envy. M- means, if I love, I'm not going to be envious of other people. Love does not parade itself. Look at me. Oh, look at me. Look how how special I am. Love doesn't do that. Love is not puffed up. It's humble. Humble. Humble takes the last seat 
in the aisle, the last row of the church instead of the first row. You know, pride takes the first row if, if they have a choice. Love does not behave rudely. Love does not seek its own. Love is not provoked. Love thinks no evil. Notice it's again, action. Every one of these things of love is an action. It thinks no evil. Love does not rejoice in iniquity. It doesn't rejoice in sin, but it rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. So tangible love is acting in loving ways, not just having warm, fuzzy feelings or saying nice, warm, loving things. Oh, I love you. You're so sweet. Those are nice, loving things. But in the biblical context of love, love is a tangible thing. Love is an action. Love is giving more honor and respect to others more than yourself. And isn't it crazy how the way God, the way Paul, God through Paul told Timothy how Christian slaves or servants are supposed to treat their masters or their owners or their bosses is exactly found there in the tangible view of love. Don't disdain them. Don't disrespect them. Love them. Be kind to them. Treat them better than yourself. Those are all the tangible things that Paul wrote about love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So it's pretty crazy how we see that those all they all you know, inter, intertwine like that. So ultimately, why does God want his kids to represent him in loving actions and in love of humility and kindness and things like that towards their bosses, towards, you know, their owners, towards even, let's say you're independently wealthy. Why does God want even Christians that aren't slaves or, or willful bond servants? Why does God want us, if you are one, which I don't know anybody, well, I know very few people that are, Why would God even want them? Because God wants every Christian to walk in love toward others. Why ultimately does God want all Christians to walk ultimately in love, humility, kindness, treating others better themselves toward everyone? Because he wants the bosses and owners and everybody in the world that's around his kids, no matter what position in life they are, to see his love, his represent, you know, him being represented in them, his love being represented in them. So that they would see that love, and that love would motivate them, God is hoping, to turn to him. For, you know, the only reason we go to anybody, the only reason I get married, the only reason I'll have a girlfriend, is because I love that person. Well, the only reason somebody's going to turn to God is if God is a God of love. Some people turn to God out of fear, but then they don't really generally necessarily stay that long because, you know, if you only fear somebody, that fear is only going to last so long. But love, love is something that we can see, and love is something that we, if we see that in God, if, if others see God's love in us, that that would motivate them to see that love because everybody's searching for love. Second Peter 3, 9, the Bible says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise. His some count slackness, but His long-suffering toward us not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And did you know that God's number one goal in our world, God's number one goal amongst humanity is saving us. That's his number one goal. People wake up in the morning with a whole lot of other goals. They have goals of getting rich. They have goals of being popular. They have goals of this. They have goals of goals of getting you know all the cars and all the TVs and all the stuff and making whatever. God's number one goal is to bring people into a right relationship with Him. 
So Christians, whether slaves or willful servants like us that have jobs today or whether independently wealthy or whatever, God says to you today and me, love, love, love your bosses, owners, everybody with your words and actions like he loves them and show them Jesus Christ living in you and pray for them, the Bible says, that they come to be saved because that is why God wants you to represent Jesus Christ to them in love, of course, and not dishonor them and not disrespect them or not despise them. God is is love. All right. Well, praise God. Let's get on to our new sermon. Uh, The new title of our new sermon is, If You Abide in My Word, You Are My Disciples. We're going to read 1 Timothy chapter 6 right after I pray, because God uh, help me to remember, normally I pray by now, but I forgot to pray. I jumped right into it. I was so excited about our overview. So if you guys want to join me in a word of prayer here real quick before I read 1 Timothy chapter 6, um, our verses here, and then we'll get into our study. Lord, thank you so much, Lord God, for your word today. Thank you so much for this new study. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your you just your truths, Lord, for your truths are your truths, Lord. And, and Lord, those are the ones that I pray that everyone in this room and everybody online that's listened to me and everybody all over the world would focus on your truths, Lord, not their own or not what they think or, or not the opinions of others, Lord, but your truths. Lord, I just, just pray, please, Lord God, help us to focus on your truth today. And Lord, whatever your truth says, Lord, let that be the truth that we go by. Whatever your truth is. Let us not go on and let us not live our lives by our lies or by other man's truths that are they desire to you know, be wealthy or if they have their own specific goals or whatever. But Lord, help us to be focused on your truths and your love and Lord, your ways and your teachings. Help us, Lord, that are listening to this sermon, Lord. Help us to understand your word today, Lord, for your word says that I don't really do the teaching, Lord, but your Holy Spirit does the teaching, Lord. And if your Holy Spirit does not bring the revelation, Lord, then we will not understand. So I just pray for everyone that will ever listen to this sermon, including us here today, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would enlighten us and help us to understand. And then, Lord God, I pray that not only would we understand, Lord, but I pray we do the things that you say. For, Lord, your word says that we can't just be hearers of the word. We must be doers of the word as well. And I pray you'd inspire people, Lord, by your spirit, by your truth, and by your love, Lord God, especially those that love you, to act on what they hear today and do whatever it is that you say that needs to be done. I love you and thank you and praise you. And we ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So 1 Timothy chapter 6 Last sentence of verse 2 to verse 5, and then I'll explain once we're all done and I read all this. So the Bible says, last sentence now, not the whole verse 2. I don't want you to get mixed up while you're reading. Last sentence of verse 2 says, Teach and exhort these things. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he's proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words, from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men, of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means to gain. From such, withdraw yourself. That's all we're going to study today. 
Well, I was hoping to be out of 1 Timothy in a few weeks. Maybe not. Uh, we'll see where God leads. All I know is I have plenty to talk about about these few verses here. First of all, why did I start out reading today with the last sentence of verse 2? Well, number one, we already studied the whole of verse 1 in almost verse almost all of verse 2 last week. Uh, that's why. So, But why didn't I teach on the last sentence of verse 2 from last week? That's a big question. You may be saying, Pastor Ed, that doesn't make no sense. Why did you teach every other you know, section and every other sentence in verses 1 and 2, but you left out the last sentence of verse 2? Well, here's why. Because it didn't fully apply the way the translators set up the verses in your Bible. Now, that may sound a little weird, but I'm going to explain. So what am I talking about? Let me explain. Well, you see, when these original authors wrote these letters by inspiration of God, Paul, Peter, uh, Christ, you know, when they recorded his words in, in first, second, first and Second Peter and, and Titus and, and Revelation, there were zero chapters and verses, okay? When these original translators got a hold of the text, the, you know, the Greek, which they translated into English for us and another language as well too, they just had basic paragraphs to go off of. Well, when they, so they translated it all, but then to help people kind of categorize you know, finding verses, finding sections of Scripture, they added chapters and verses. Now, don't be scared, because here's a good saying to remember. The words only of the Bible were inspired by God. Don't be scared, because man added chapters and verses. It's a good thing, because if we didn't have chapters and verses, and we just had big, long paragraphs and we were quoting the bible to people or we were trying to memorize the bible we would be like oh yeah it's in timothy or it's in you know first timothy oh well we're at um the you know the first quarter of the book who would ever find the verse nobody would ever find the verse so verses and chapters are good they're mostly good except in this case where i completely disagree with where they put this sentence this very last sentence in verse 2 in our case today in verse 2 the sentence really doesn't belong to verses 1 and 2 only like the translators set it in there they set that verse in there so kind of where it looks like that sentence which is teach and exhort these things seems like it only applies to paul's teaching on slaves or christian willful bond servants and I do not want us to suppose that because that really doesn't make any sense. Okay? Uh, that just, it just doesn't fit. I'll show you why in a little bit why it doesn't fit. But that just doesn't fit. Um, it's wrong to presume that it belongs with 1 and 2. I believe Paul writes, teach and exhort these things in verse 2 in regards to all that he had written in 1 Timothy. All, the whole book up to this point. Teach and exhort these things. That even makes sense. And as we see, as I'm going to show you in verse 3, it doesn't make sense that it would only, he would, he would be saying to Timothy, teach and exhort these things, meaning just that little section talking about slaves. So I'm going to show you why I believe, but first it's important that you understand that Paul here commands, not suggests to Timothy, here in the last sentence of verse 2, that he teach and exhort all the things that he had written to Timothy thus far and that he exhort all the Christians in the church to be keeping all the things that he just wrote in the whole book, not just in these couple verses. Now, now I told you I'd show you. I'd show you why 
That last sentence doesn't really fit in with just verses 1 and 2. I want to show you here in verse 3. Let's read it. Verse 3. He says, If anyone teaches otherwise and, and does not consent to wholesome words, listen to the things he attaches on here, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with holy or with godliness. Now, now if you see that, that that the doctrine that accords with godliness is the Bible's whole doctrine of if you want to walk with God, God expects you to walk a holy life, live a holy life. The whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation, we see that sin gets mankind in trouble. And the doctrine with which accords with godliness is a doctrine that means that when you come to God, being holy or being godly doesn't save you. It's your faith and your turning to him that save you. That's what the Bible says. But the godliness is, you're supposed to, hey, now I walk with God. Hey, what does God say now that I'm supposed to live? So this is what we call the the, God, the Bible's doctrine, God's doctrine on godliness or holiness. Now, did you see here about what I said, how clear it was? You can't really think that Paul wrote all of verse 3 because he says, uh, he starts in the 6th, Three, he says, if anyone teaches otherwise, otherwise just on some teachings to some Christian slaves, otherwise just some you know teachings to Christian bond servants on how to treat their 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 masters or their their bosses. If you think that Paul wrote all of verse three, really through really the whole section kind of is three through six, just four verses one through two, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous to think that Paul had a fleeting thought or a fleeting pe- couple passages to say to Christian slaves or, or bond servants. This he's talking here, teaching exhort these things upon all the things that he just wrote in this chapter. So I believe this. I, not that I'm saying what I believe is true, but I hope you see it too. God showed it to me. Uh, I'm not sure why the translators put the sentence in verse two, but they did. And since we're all human to make mistakes, I must forgive them. I hope you do too. And although, although the sentence can be taken out of context and mean, well, just teach and exhort just these few things, just the, and actually that's something that God just showed me, teach and exhort these things. Well, really, he only taught one thing here. And he says, teach and exhort these things. That would mean what, there were multiple things here. Well, really, he only taught just one thing really to Christian slaves, honor your masters, do good to them, do what's right to them. That's just one concept, one idea. So teach and exhort these things here applies to all the things, plural, that Paul just taught throughout, that taught throughout the whole letter. So um, although the sentence can be taken just for the small section about Christian slaves, a good contextual study will reveal that and just looking at the words very simple. Anyway, I felt God lead me to point that out to you. It's important. I do believe it's super important to understand that the whole letter, all of 1 Timothy, is important and it must be taught and it must be exhorted and not just that section about the slaves or the willful bond service. I mean, of course, that falls in into it. Teach and exhort these things um, it is, of course, one of the things that Paul taught. And, of course, that is one of the things that we Christian pastors or Timothy was supposed to teach all of his congregants in his church. Of course, that's, that's simple. That was one of the things, but that's not the only thing and that's hence why I broke it off today and I taught it with this new section and not last week. Anyway, back it up to the beginning of verse 3 for the huge point Paul is making in our new section here. I'm going to read through three, verses 3 through 5. 
they're all going to want to be one, and I'm going to kind of explain them after that and move on to our bigger point. Paul goes on to say, after he says, teach and exhort these things, all the things I just wrote, if anyone teaches otherwise, against, against or otherwise, all the things I just told you, and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the Bible's doctrine, which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but he is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wrangling, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means to gain from such withdraw yourself. Keep that saying in mind, because I'm going to bring it up a lot today. From such withdraw yourself. I'm going to change it a little bit, and I'm going to say, get away from them. Get away from them. That's going to be how I'm going to translate that withdraw yourself from them, because we don't really talk like that anymore. We say, get away from them. Get out of there. Get out of there. So what is Paul saying to us? He's saying this. He says to Timothy and all Christians in the church, and he even says to all Christians nowadays, he says to every one of us now, because we know that the Bible is just as applicable for us today as it was almost 2,000 years ago when it was written. He says here, if anyone teaches anything that is against, I'm just going to rephrase it and help us all to get more of what he was saying. If anyone teaches anything that's against what Jesus Christ taught, what I wrote and taught in this letter, and what the Bible says about teachings, you know, about coming to him and living a godly lifestyle, abstaining from sin, this person knows nothing. What does it mean to know nothing? That means you're ignorant. And when you're ignorant, you're stupid. So I'm going to say these people that teach against are ignorant and they're stupid because that's what Paul said. They know nothing. And he says to Timothy at the end, but again, I'm going to rephrase it here, because of the, they're like this, because they teach these teachings, get away from them. I told you I'd be saying it a lot. Because, here's why, they are obsessed. What does obsessed mean? They're consumed with. They're obsessed. I got to do this. They're obsessed with. They're like, I got to do it. They're consumed with arguing over everything all they want to do is argue even words and 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 really nothing evil comes from that paul says and why do these that you should get away from get away from them why do these teach these things these teachings that are against the you know teachings of christ paul and the christian life of holiness the bible says that we should live and there's two reasons paul says here so not only are they stupid here but he also gives number one reason he says because they're destitute of the truth so if you're destitute of the truth, we know that Paul's talking about God's truth. What's God's truth? Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And what does that mean? That means you get saved. So these people here that teach these things, they teach them because they're stupid, and they're, they're not even saved. They're just, they don't have any truth in them at all. They have no godly truth in them at all. And number two, they have corrupt minds, Paul says here. What does that mean, having a corrupt mind? That means their minds are polluted by sin which is how all people are before they're saved. That's kind of how people are. Their minds are polluted by sin. And because of these truths, Paul says, they actually use the things of God and the gospel not to get people saved, not to help people understand God's truths and bring them into the kingdom of heaven, but as a way to make a profit. Now again, all I did there was take all of Paul's words and I kind of rephrased them and simplified them a little bit. And I kind of, here's what he said in a nutshell. 
So these people that teach against God's teachings, Christ's teachings, the Bible's teachings on holiness, and against Paul's teaching, they're stupid, they're not saved, they, they know nothing, and their minds are polluted from sin, and they're really only focused on getting rich. They're using the things of God and the gospel to get rich. Oh, wow. What a discourse Paul gives there against all who teach teachings and beliefs that are against Christ himself and the biblical doctrines that teach people to live holy lives. And again, he adds there in the end of verse 5, of these people, he says what? Get away from them. Get away from them. This isn't the only place Paul teaches this, actually. He rewrites kind of almost identical to Titus in 3.10, and he says of the same type of person. He says, reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition. What is he saying? Reject them. What is the same word as reject? Reject, get away from them. Don't have anything to do with them. What is a divisive man? A divisive man is trying to divide you on the things of God. He's not just dividing your idea of who should be president. Or, this is the Bible. The Bible addresses spiritual issues, godly issues. So Paul's writing about to reject a divisive man. This man is trying to divide you on the word of God. Well, he's trying to argue with you. Same, same thing as he said in 1 Timothy 6 here. He's trying to confuse you. He's trying to divide you. He says, reject them if what? After once and twice you come to them. Okay, so this is you see them teaching things against Christ. You see them teaching things against the Bible, against Paul, and against the Bible's doctrines against holy, uh, of holiness. And you say, hey man, you know, the Bible says that, you know, once we come to Christ, you know, Paul says, hey, we're supposed to put off the former man and, and live to the new man, man. We're supposed to live holy. Ah, it doesn't matter whether you live holy, God loves you. It's okay. Hey man, that's wrong. That's ungodly because the whole Bible says, ah, da, 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 da. hey, I warned you twice. He says, reject him. Get away from him. Get away from them. I should have named the title, the title of the sermon that, but it just was led to do it another reason. And he says to Timothy or to Titus, why, in verse 11, he says, why you should get away from them, why you should reject them. He says, because this person, uh, knowing that this person is warped. Again, remember what Paul said of the, here in, Ty, in, in Timothy here? He says, they know nothing, that they're stupid, and their, their minds are corrupted in sin. He tells Titus, this person's warped. And they're in sin. They're sinning. And he says, and they're being self-condemned. They're on their way to hell. They're not even saved. First Titus 3.10 says the same thing. So Paul says here again, in these two sections of Scripture that are talking about the same kind of person, just in case you missed it, I'm wrapping it up real quick again. Warn a divisive person, preacher, church, whatever, or one who is teaching things against what Paul Christ and the Bible doctrines which accord with godliness have taught you. Once or twice, you're supposed to warn them. And if they don't repent, reject them or get away from them. Get away from them. Leave them alone. If they will not repent of teaching falsely against God and Christ and the Bible and Paul, get away from them. Very simple command here. He ends verse 5 with it. I'm going to beat it up in this service. Get away from them. Well, what a different world of Christianity that we would live in today if people, past and present, that say they love Jesus Christ, practiced what Paul says in 1 Timothy 6.5 and Titus 3.10. So I mean, 
throughout the ages, including today, if people were to just reject or get away from the type of person who doesn't repent of his or her teachings that go against Christ, Paul's and the Bible's teachings on holiness, the Christian world would be way different than it is now. And the Christian world would not be plagued with all these different things I'm going to read off to you right now. I'm going to teach you about all these different things right now that of teachings in our world and people that teach them right now. And I'm going to go through them with you real quick. Just some of the, some of the big ones. There's, there's lots of them, but some of the big ones. That our world would be different if we did not have these things and these people teaching in our world now. Because for a preacher or for a pastor to have kind of some power and some authority... What has to happen? Well, people have to support them. If people got away from them when they taught against God's word, against Paul's teachings, against Christ's teachings, and against the unholiness that people want you to live in, say it's okay because God loves you, the world would be a different place as far as Christianity goes because we would have the true Bible being taught instead of False preachers and teachers lifted up. We would not have, I got about 12 examples for you. We would not have the pollutions of, number one, we wouldn't have false faith healers or TV preachers that want your money or prosperity preachers, you know, where God says Christians are supposed to be perfectly healthy, you know, so never sick or ill and and very wealthy like Abraham, okay? Show me in the Bible where we read in the New Testament that all those that followed Jesus Christ were prosperous. Just show it to me. Show me Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In fact, show me church history about all the disciples, what kind of wealthy physical life they have. In fact, if you want to look at it, after Judas murdered himself, you have the other 11 10 out of the 11 were martyred. They were just basically missionaries for God. Some were in a church. Others went and planted churches. But they ended up being martyred and murdered. And they basically were, you know, thought of as nothing. We don't read anything in scripture of them showing us at all that they were rich. A lot of them died. The Bible even talks about, like, for, for instance here, Paul says to Timothy, remember, take a little wine for your stomach ailment. Now, if God's supposed to make us all rich and have us never be sick, why would Timothy have had a stomach ailment? Bible says of Paul, he didn't see well. Well, I mean, if hey, if I'm prosperous and I'm rich and I never get sick and nothing's ever wrong with me, how come Paul couldn't see very well? I mean, it's just asinine. These false faith healers, these TV preachers that want your money, and they preach about how God wants you to be, you know, rich and all this stuff, and yet just give them your money, and then that you know God will bless you for giving them your money. It's ridiculous, and we just don't see it in the Bible unless we teach the teachings of God and Christ that are for our own gain, as Paul warns here. These stupid people that know nothing, unless we're teaching the Bible for my own gain. For instance, like people by the names of Paula White, Benny Hinn, Oral Roberts, Creflo Dollar, Kenneth Copeland, T.D. Jakes, just to name a few of the popular ones. We have all these people that are given the Bible and Christ Jesus and Christ's teachings and Paul's teachings a black eye. So if people, and what I mean here, would have seen this, and people do see it, I'll get to that in a little bit too. If people did see it, which they do, and they would 
followed Paul's example here. Get away from them. They're not teaching you according to the Bible. These people would have no following and would have dried up long ago and their false teachings would have gone along with them. What's another false one today? What's another big, huge false one today that thousands upon thousands of people follow? Your best life now, Mr. Joel Olstein. Well, I only have one thing to say about that. He teaches you how to have your best life now, yet the Bible says that this life is full of sin. This life is full of problems. This life is full of hurt. This life is full of death. It is, if this is my best life now, then why would I look forward to heaven? I mean, absolutely think about it. If this was your best life, all the friends and family that you've seen died, and all the pain that you felt from that, that's, that's the best life you can have? That's your best life now? All the, you, with the sicknesses, or all the, you know, the colds that you've ever had. All the, maybe you haven't been able to pay your rent. Maybe you've been evicted. Maybe you can't, you know, your, your car's been, uh, uh, you know, taken because you couldn't afford to make a payment. That's your best life now? Certainly, I don't know what this man's talking about because this is certainly not my best life now. I'm getting older. I'm getting weaker. I'm getting stronger in the spirit, but my body, you know, it's just not the way I was when I was 20 years old. This is certainly, ladies and gentlemen, not my best life now. And the Bible teaches that the best life we're going to have is our afterlife if we're saved. Certainly not our best life now. But since this man follows the devil, this will be his and those that follow him's best life now because the next life after this will be hell. And where this life, they'll long to come back to this life that although it was so terrible, hell will be a lot worse. Number three, we have our friend here, what we call today uh, America's pastor, Mr. Rick Warren, what is your purpose-driven life. Now, I don't know why we need to write a whole book called The Purpose-Driven Life when Jesus Christ gave us our purpose in life, didn't he? Didn't Jesus say, really, what is our purpose? Didn't he say, love the Lord your God with all your heart? with all your mind and with all your soul. Is that not what Jesus Christ said should be our purpose in life, to love God? Why do we need a whole book to tell us what our purpose should be in life if we know we have Jesus' words, even in one section, of love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul? We don't need a whole book on it. We don't need a whole book to teach us other things. We need to know Christ's words. What is our purpose according to Christ? What is our purpose according to the Bible? And that's really all that we need to have. We've got another one. The Catholic Church is big on this one. We've got to pray to dead people and pray to Mary so that God can hear us. Even though Timothy says, or Paul says to Timothy, there's one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. A teaching that goes directly against Scripture, yet the Catholic Church is the largest religious entity of so-called Christianity today and Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands and millions of people follow it, even though they teach teachings like this, and there's many more to follow that. We got another one coming from the Pentecostal side. We got people in churches that have been in the past, and today maybe, where they start holy laughing. Right during church service. They start laughing with this holy laughter, they call it. We have the, they start barking like a dog. They get up into the roof of the, uh, of the church, and they start swinging on chandeliers. Barking like dogs. <laughs> Holy laughter. And they say, they say, 
It's because the Holy Spirit's leading them to do it. And the Holy Spirit's leading them to interrupt the pastor. Even though the Bible says that we should do all things in one accord, that there should be order. For God is a God of order and not of disorder. And that would be what we call today the Toronto Blessing or the Vineyard Church, which is absolutely, completely unbiblical, and you won't find any proof in Scripture to prove or back up why these people say that God is leading them to do these things. Number six, we've got Jesus is Satan's brother, the good old Mormons. Mormons teach you that Jesus Christ is Satan's spiritual brother, and we're all just brothers anyway. And, and you know what? And, and we're all going to be gods one day too, because that's how God started. He he was a man just like us, and and then you know he he died and or whatever happened, and then he transcended to be a god, as we all will be. Now come on, Bible says there's one God. There's only one God. And he's in three parts. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that they are the, the beginning and the end. The Alpha and the Omega. God says there, will, there is no God but me. And there will never be a God aside from me. I am God. And that's it. There's no other gods. How can we be God? Jesus Christ rebukes Satan. And, and, and uh, get behind me, Satan. For you do not know the things of God. So how can Satan be Jesus' brother if Jesus is rebuking him? And then Jesus says in John 1, I am God. Hey, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we know that Jesus Christ was the Word. Satan's not God. He's the, the false God of many people on this world that honor him and worship him. But he's not your creator, Bible says of Jesus Christ that he is our creator, that all things came through him and all things consist in him. Satan, Jesus calls the deceiver. How can Jesus Christ be Satan's brother? It's ridiculous. We have number seven. We have our good old Jehovah's Witness friends that they say Jesus is the Michael, is the, is the archangel Michael. Because they take one verse out of the Bible, and even though I just gave all those sections and all those passages about Jesus Christ being God, and the Son of God, and the Creator, they say He's just an angel. And they also claim that there's no hell. Hey, the people aren't worth going to heaven? They teach the annihilation theory. Hey, when you die, if you're just not worthy of heaven, then God just destroys you because there's no eternal hell. There's no eternal suffering. Even though Jesus Christ warned, He said, He says, he warned people about going to hell. He said, be weeping and gnashing of teeth where the smoke of their torment will ascend forever. Sounds like an eternal torment to me, yet they claim there's no hell. And Jesus Christ is not God. Uh, the Annihilation Theory, Watchtower of Mormons, it, 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 goes, it goes on and on and on and on. Uh, even everyone goes to heaven because they're a good person, right? Uh, uh, there's people out there that predict that uh, that they they've predicted many times they predicted uh, uh, Jesus Christ is going to return. They predict the return of Jesus Christ. Hal Lindsey being one of them. Uh, our Jehovah's Witness friends, the Watchtower, they've all prophesied wrong times that Jesus Christ is coming back. Yet Jesus Himself said, "No man knows the day nor the time nor the hour when the Son of Man will return." Yet, yet. These religions and these millions of people that follow them are tremendously prosperous and have thousands and millions of people that go to them. We got our last one, which is the eternal security crowd with the Calvinism crowd. They teach that you can, uh, mostly Baptists, mostly Reformers, and they teach that, you know, once you get saved, no matter how you live, it doesn't matter. 
It doesn't matter because you know what? You are saved. So what does this do? This disregards the Bible's teaching or doctrine, as Paul puts it here, of holiness. Which is after you get saved, you're supposed to live a holy life. Bible talks about it over and over and over and over and over again. And they disregard the whole living for him until we die in order to be secure in our salvation. Because I believe in eternal, uh, eternal security too, by the way. I believe that if you that have decided to follow Jesus Christ, if you continue to follow him, if you continue to love him, if you continue to serve him, if you continue to worship him as God and God alone, and he's your Lord and you're following him, I believe that you can be eternally secure. But I do not believe that you're eternally secure if you get saved and then you go back to the world and you start living like you did before in sin and doing all the things you did before. Being the evil person that you came from. I do not believe you will continue to be saved and go to heaven when you die. They also believe that God, we're so depraved before we get saved that we're dead. Like, so that God has to just do it all. He has to save us all. He saves people just because of whoever. He doesn't have any reason why he saves people. He just saves whoever. Uh, Christ's death on the cross didn't mean it was for everybody. Even though Jesus Christ said, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever shall believe in him would be saved. Yet they believe that only Christ died only for this special group of the elect, taking completely away from what the Bible says. And the most popular verse in all the Bible, John 3.16, it goes on and on and on and on and on. And I could go on and on and on and on and on about these false and counterfeit teachers of the Bible, these so-called Christian denominations that are apostate and false and fraudulent preachers that are out there and taking advantage of people financially. That are all teaching what? They all know nothing, according to Paul here, because they're all teaching against the teachings of Christ. Paul and the Bible's doctrines teaching God's kids to be godly and to live godly. I can't teach you on all of them. I can't go through all of them because I'd be here another hour. I can't do that. But we're going to talk about how to be able to figure it out here in a little bit. How to figure out who is on and who is off. But I just want you to know this about all that I just said. Paul said that those that taught these things that I mentioned up there just a little bit ago, that went against the teachings of Christ, Paul and the Bible's doctrine that lines up with godliness, are stupid. They're unsaved, Paul says. They have corrupt minds. And all they want to do is argue about useless and senseless words. Which means that they don't just want to read the Bible and take the Bible for what it means. And sadly, as I already alluded to, the world is full, it's plumb full of these false teachers and these false religions. And sadly, most of all of them, as I actually already mentioned, they're very prosperous financially, and they're full of people that follow their teachings. The teachings that go against Christ. Teachings that go against Paul. Teachings that go against the Bible's doctrine of godliness. And it's sad. Even sadder is that God knew it. God knew it was coming even before Christ came. God knew it before it ever probably even, well, no, it had already started happening. We'll probably get to that next week. But Paul, God through Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, 3-4, look how God saw it. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, the people. 
but will according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and listen to what they'll do, and they'll turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. All those things that I just told you about just a little bit ago, they're all false. They're all against Christ's teachings. They're all fake things. Fables are fake. They're all just stories. These things that I just mentioned, all these false teachings that we have in our world today, and there's more even, they're all fables. And God saw it and Paul prophesied of it, that there'd come a day, and we're living in that day. It was happening in Paul's day too. We'll probably get to that next week. But it's happening. We see it. It's right here. And sadly, most people in our world, they want that. They want those false things. They want those fables. They want these preachers and teachers to teach them these false, false things. So sadly, Paul's commands to Timothy and the Christians here in Ephesus and in Titus to get away from the one that's preaching against Jesus Christ, Paul and the Bible's teachings of holiness, uh, if they were rebuked once or twice you know, and they don't repent, have not been taken. Because again, if it had, we'd live in a different Christian world today. So you may be saying to yourself right now, Pastor Ed, I don't want to be one of those people that listen to these false teachers of evil-hearted, unsaved men, but how do I know if my preacher or my church is teaching against Jesus Christ or the Bible? And How do I know if they're a fraud? Well, there's only one way to know who's a fraud, there's only one way to know who's a false teacher. There's only one way to know if they're an imposter uh, Christian denomination. And you may say, how? Well, it's just, it's, just a little, it's just a little snippet of something that real that's real that happens in our world today. So we got these people, and they work for the Federal Reserve. They work for the Federal Mint. And they, they, all they do all day long is they try to sniff out or they try to find counterfeit bills. All day long, that's their whole job. They try to search out counterfeit money, fake money, so that they can, you know, hey, oh, hey, we got one. Okay, so, you know, we got one. Hey, we got an APB out. Where'd this come from? So on and so forth. We got to find it. We know people are making false money. We got to figure it out. And there's one way that they do it. And do you guys know how they sniff out false money? You want to know how they sniff out false, this, this false counterfeit money? All day long, all they do is look at the real deal. They keep their eyes fixed on a real on real money. Dollars, five dollars, ten dollars, twenty dollars, hundred dollars, whatever we got. They look at real money. They look at the truth all day long. This is what they do. This is how they are able to. And and because their eye is trained, ladies and gentlemen to look at the truth on all the bills, okay? When a false one comes along, when they examine all the money, they're able to say, wait a minute, I can tell this one isn't that all the truth that I've been looking at all day long here. Whoa, wait, counterfeit, I got one. So switch that over to Christianity. How would Christians then be able to realize when they're looking at a counterfeit religion, when they're looking at a counterfeit teaching of Christ, when they're looking at a counterfeit teaching of of Paul. By keeping your eyes on the truth of God's word only all the time, every single solitary day. And while you're looking at the truth, 
God, would you please reveal your truth to me in your word? Don't go to a man, hey, can you explain this to me? Ask God and keep your eyes in his truth. You could say like that real money, except God's word is way more valuable than real money. Keeping your eyes daily fixed on the truths of God. And you see, then as you live, if you do this for yourself and you keep the pure and undefiled word of God before your eyes continually and read all of it and take it all literally, that means whatever it says, you believe it. Whatever it says, that's what you practice. Don't practice things it doesn't say. Don't believe other things you hear other people say that go against it. But get in your eyes into the undefiled holy word of God and read it. And as you do this, you cannot but absolutely know the truth. And then you'll be able to catch all the counterfeit and fraudulent teachings that are out there. Then... When or if you find your church or your preacher or your teacher or whatever, a religion is teaching you things against Christ, Paul, in the Bible, you can follow the steps that Paul gives here in 1 Timothy 6 and Titus where he says, rebuke them once or twice, but if they won't repent of their evil heart and their evil teachings that go against Christ, the Bible, and Paul, get away from them. I told you I was going to say that a lot. If you see that they're false, get away from them. Now, if you do really love Christ and his words and you've got and, and, and you and you have to get away from a fraudulent church or preacher that is teaching things against them, this would mean does this mean now that you should not go to any church? Does this mean that you should get away from all church completely at all totally? You know, hey, well they're all just bad because you know the, the couple that I went to, oh they're false. So you know what, I'm just not gonna, you know, go to any church at all. I've heard that a lot. It's a very popular teaching in our day, but you know what? It's wrong. The Bible says it's wrong. And I've heard many people say, oh, we always quote that Hebrews 10.25, and I will. If I had to ask you, where in the Bible does it say go to church? Most people are going to say, oh, Hebrews 10.25. Bible says not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together is the manner of some. People say, well, I don't go to church, but I get together with a Christian group and I fellowship and I'm fine because the Bible says I just have to fellowship with Christians. Then they can refute that. But you guys got to understand, I really want you to understand that this is a huge false teaching of our world today. Just because Hebrews 10.25 says not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, and meaning we can just mean that as in, oh, it's just a group of Christians that I get together with and that's like church. That's not true. When the Bible says church, it does just mean gathering, ladies and gentlemen, but it doesn't just mean like a gathering like of just some friends that are Christians and then you just do some fellowship together. Hebrews is not just talking about some Christians that you hang out with, uh, you know, to fellowship with, but, but, he, but really it's talking about being with other believers in a literal church structure. How do we know this? Go back for yourselves, please, and read 1 Timothy, chapters 2 and chapter 3. Chapter 2 talks about, Paul, Paul talks about the roles of men and women in church. Men are supposed to do this. Women are supposed to learn in silence. Men are supposed to pray with their hands lifted up. Women are supposed to be submissive to men. And that this is not something that you know God expects throughout the whole world. This is something God expects from his children in church. Women learn being submissive to men and learning in silence. First two, chapter or chapter two, chapter three, Paul sets up the church structure by giving Timothy the qualifications for leadership of overseer, or that would be a pastor. Or elder, that would be a pastor. And deacons, those that serve the pastor. 
If we're gathering together with friends and Christian friends just to fellowship, we don't have a pastor. We don't have a church structure. We don't have leaders. We don't have overseers. We just have a group of Christians getting together and they're just going to study the Bible. That is not church. Ladies and gentlemen, when the Bible talks about church, it means a church structure. It doesn't have to be a building. I I, I was in a church one time in an area now that was called church. It was called church under the tree, and they had church, but they had church structure, and it was under a tree in a park, and it didn't have to have walls. It wasn't a building, but it was a church. It had a pastor. It had leaders. It had it had church structure. It had church discipline, and this was a church. We're not just going to gather together. That cannot just be a church. You can go to 1 Timothy chapter 5 where Paul tells Timothy that the church should support true widows. It should support, via like a paycheck, elders and pastors who rule well in labor and word and doctrine. Uh, so teaching pastors uh, that run their churches well should be supported. A group of Christians doesn't get together and support their pastor. That They have some fellowship in a house. You only support a pastor of a church. Church is always supposed to be meant to be a structure, not just kind of some group of friends getting together and going to church. So Christians, if you do have to leave your church, don't forsake going to real church, okay? Uh, Anyway, true Christians out there listening to this message, God wants you to be in a real church with church structure. Not just what fellowship with other believers, you know, other true Christians. Uh, if you do find out that your church, uh, that you're going to as teachings that are against Christ, Paul, and the Bible's doctrines according with godliness, get out of that church, but don't stop going to church. Pray and ask God, hey God, where would you want me to go? Where, where are your truths? Where is your church? God, lead me and guide me to the church that teaches the truth. There's not a lot of them out there, mind you, but God always does have a remnant. And if you really love God and you really care about following his word, because that's what the Bible says that a real Christian is, then you need to find yourself, you seek God, ask him, where is the church for us? Get us into the right church, into the correct church, one that doesn't teach teachings against you. So just some closing words to all Christians who really follow the teachings of Christ, Paul and the apostles in the Bible, and those that think that they're Christians, but follow the teachings of false preachers and false denominations that go against what Christ and Paul and the apostles in the Bible teach. Jesus said something to Jews of his day that believed in him, and this saying would apply to everyone who has a belief in Jesus Christ even to this very day. Jesus says to all those that believe in him, John 8, 31, he says this. This is to everyone who has a belief in Jesus, no matter if it's a correct belief, an incorrect belief, whether you're following him, whether you're not following him, he says, John 8, 31, to those Jews who believed in him, to you who have a belief in him. He says this, it's the title, if you abide in my word, and what is his word? His word is his teachings. This is Jesus now. His word is his teachings. If you abide in my word, in his word is his teachings, you are my disciples indeed. So if opposite is true, because it always is, ladies and gentlemen, the opposite of God's word is always true. If there's black, there's white, even in our world, there's always an opposite. So there's an opposite of God's word too. So if the opposite is true, because it always is, if you do not abide in his word, and remember his words are his teachings, then you are not his disciple. But a disciple is just a follower. In the translation, only those who abide, what is abide, means to live in. 
It means to live by or, or to follow my teachings. Only those who live by or live in or follow my teachings, only those are my disciples or only those are my followers. And the Bible says that only people that fit this description is a true follower. They're, they're true followers of, of Christ. They're the only ones that are really saved. Only if you're really making an effort, if you're really searching him out, following his words, keeping his words, making an effort to keep his words, keep his teachings, living in them, abiding them, following, living by them, this is salvation. This is the person that's going to be going to heaven. This is what the Bible says. Not somebody that's not, oh, I'm a follower of uh, so-and-so, or I'm a follower of, you know, this, this false doctrine. The Bible doesn't promise anything but hell to those that do not abide in the teachings of Christ, not the teachings of, that go against Christ. Jesus was very clear here that it's not those who make a profession of him who are saved or those that follow all the teachings and words of those that teach against his words you know, in his teachings that are saved. Those people only have the promise of hell. But he promises there those that turn to him and decide to abide in or follow or live by his words or his teachings are the ones that are saved. Jesus even talks about what abiding in his word and teachings means in Matthew chapter 10, verses 37 through 39. Listen to this. He helps people in Matthew chapter 10 have a tangible idea, a tangible understanding of what it really means to abide in his word, in his teachings. He says this, Matthew chapter 10, 37 to 39, he says, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He just said, if you abide in my word, my teachings, then you're my disciple indeed, you're my follower. So if you're not, then you're not, right? And he says here, if you love anybody in this world, he goes on to say, he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. If you love anybody in this world more than me, then you're not worthy of me. I love you. I give myself to you. I expect you to love me with all your heart. That's what Jesus said. To love the Lord. That's our purpose in life, remember. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. Right? He says here, Jesus reiterates that in Matthew 10, 37. You can't love anybody more than than him. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. So if you're not doing the things that he said you should do, if you're not living out the ways in which he said you should live, he says you're not worthy of him. Now these are not my words, ladies and gentlemen, so don't be mad at me. These are his words. He goes on to say, gives the comparison on the two different types of lives. He who finds his life will lose it. You finding your own life in you is for you're living your life for you. That's the life that you live for you. He who finds his life will lose it. So if you find your life, you live your life for you, you're going to lose your eternal life is what he says. But he goes on to say, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. He who surrenders to me makes me their Lord decides to follow me, decides to abide in my word, not false teachings against me. But those who decide to follow my word and abide in my word and surrender to me, they're going to find their lives. They're going to have eternal life. So, for you who are listening to me out there, I'm not sure where you're at with the Lord Jesus Christ today. 
But I sure do know where the Lord wants you to be. He wants you following His word, not some man's words. He wants you obeying His teachings, not some man's teachings. He wants you to follow the teachings of Paul and his original apostles and and the whole Bible's teachings on holiness and all that they had to say about how they understood Jesus Christ's teachings because Christ taught them personally and not some man's interpretation of them who has an evil heart where they teach teachings against the teachings of Christ, Paul and the Bible, which of course benefits them financially or in some other selfish way. Christ's teachings are not selfish. They teach you to be selfless, not selfish. And most people's teachings in this world that are false and against God, their teachings only benefit them or their religion or their denomination or their church. They don't really benefit the kingdom of God. So whose teachings do you abide in today? Those that teach the teachings that go against Christ, the Bible, or Paul, or some man that claims to teach you the right way, but when you read the Bible, you see that his teachings go against Christ in the Bible and such. If you really think that you love Jesus Christ, get your nose in the truth of God's word every day, the Bible, and keep it there. And start holding up what you believe or what you preach or what you are, and start holding up what your preacher or your teacher or your church teaches against the word of God. Ladies and gentlemen, so you hear them say something, go to the Bible. Make sure it's what the Bible says. And if you see that there's a contradiction, get out. Get out and seek God. Get away from them and seek God as to where you should go. God, where would you have me to go? Please, that you're only going to live this life for so long. Your life will be over. It could be over today. Your life could be over tomorrow. Your life could be over next year. It doesn't matter. You don't even know when your life's going to end. But I encourage you, get your nose in God's word and seek him for the truth and not some man. And if your church is false, get out of it. Get away from them, as Paul said here, and go to a church that has the correct teachings of Christ. Start your own church if you have to, with God's leading, if God leads you to do that. Where you're going to teach the Bible, choose yourself with others holding you accountable to doing such. Please, whose teachings do you abide in? Man's or Christ's? Please seek him and find out and ask him and seek the word. Let's pray. Lord, Thank you so much, Lord God, for this word. Thank you so much for Paul's exhortation here, Lord God, and how the warning he gives us, Lord, to get away from people that are not teaching us the truth, Lord. The, Lord, it is so clear and so obvious to me, Lord God. I read your word every day, Lord. I can't go a day without it. And it's so easy for me to see the truths of the Bible. And it's so easy for me to see the false and evil lies that people teach that are out there. I pray, dear God in heaven, that you would put a heart of seeking in people today, Lord. People that really do love you. And they're just kind of easing on in their Christian walk, Lord. I pray that you'd put a heart to seek you in them, Lord God. And they'd seek your truth, Lord God. And know that if they're really yours, they must abide in your word, Lord. They can't abide in lies. Because you only said those that abide in your word would be your followers. Only those that follow and 
and are led by your word and, and, and live by your word. Those are the only ones, Lord, that are your followers, that are your disciples. That means if we're not, Lord, if we're not abiding, if we're not living by, if we're not living in your teachings, Lord, that means that we're not yours. And that means we're not your disciples. We're not your followers. And we know the Bible says that only your followers go to heaven. Please, Lord God, help people see your truth. And then, Lord, help them to repent right now today. Help them to turn to you and do what you say, Lord God. Because it is so important that we don't just hear your words, but that we do your words too. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for this warning. Thank you so much, God, for your love that you do warn us so that we can know the truth, so that we're motivated, Lord, to do what's right. Thank you. And we praise you and we love you. And we ask these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen.